I've never been more offended in my life when I walked into a supermarket and saw chocolate hummus. And I was like, wow. I looked twice. I was like, this can't be happening. And here's to you, Dan Raphael. Jesus loves you more than you will know. Oh, God bless you, please, all our enemies. Heaven holds a place for those who pray. We're in a room, but we're gonna get so much questions about this intro. I think the in- I think the music intro is gonna be fine. I think it's what we name it, which might get us into some headlines. Because you are gonna get into some headlines when you rock. Just you know. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. I just came here to look beautiful and say some smart things, Raf. You are going to figure out the technical side of all of yeah, this. Yeah, it's a lot of work for me. You just have to just be you. I just got to show up. And I have like a lot of uh, boxes to check here. You also do get to check the beautiful and say smart things boxes, <laughs> but you just have to do extra work, which is good because men should start doing more work than the women. <laughs> this is true. So we're already going on the right foot here. Speaking of, uh, that's a quote by Ruth. Uh, Bader Ginsburg, she mm-hmm. said that she got into this, not to make women, like, not, it's not a fight, uh, that, that women's equality won't be here until, it's not laws, that it's a, when men at home will take responsibility for, equal responsibility for that work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, would, I would like to go a little bit farther than RBG. <laughs> I think that the men should do be at the point where they do more work because we haven't had equality or equity for so long that they got some making up to do. So they better start doing more work. Yeah. It sounds like a lot. It's a lot of work. I'm ready. Hey, listen, the women been doing it all these centuries. I think y'all can do some work now. Yeah. I think we're going to create a list of the work we could do. Maybe this could be a, a recurring segment about the different things men could do. Uh, to make up for how about just don't do wrong things <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot to ask <laughs> yeah i mean like how many guys do we still have left really like the society would crumble right now if they went down like denzel maybe like who like who would go de- who would be exposed in some way like he would i don't think he will be but you know people are human but who would be exposed in a way where like they would be knocked off the pedestal and we would be like, all right, it's done. There's no one perfect. I can, I, I can think a lot of, I think I can think of a lot of women that we may feel like that, but I really can't think of any men where I'm like the world's over men. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> We're just expendable. <laughs> Some women. Yeah. The world would be done. But men, yeah. I can't really think of any. Yeah. Or even any, to be honest. Um, the biggest question we're going to get why did you name it Jesus Loves Linda and Raph podcast? Because that's the truth. It is true. I mean. The, the women on the street corners in New York City tell me that all the time. Every time I walk by, they give me a pamphlet and they say, Jesus loves you too. And I always respond by saying, I know that. And I, I feel very that. proud and happy and full and walk away. <laughs> I mean, Moses loves us. We didn't call it that. Well, Abraham loves Abraham us. loves us. Muhammad loves us. Everybody loves us. Everybody. But loves us. 
Some will say that Jesus does not love us and that you and me are going to hell. That's so weird because he's to me, to, to me, he's a you know cousin rabbi and he, he's not Jesus. His name is like if you Americanize it by this time, it would be Joshua. And then you for you, he's like literally a prophet. He literally, Jesus is mentioned more times in the holy book for the Muslims, the Quran, more than our own beloved prophet Muhammad. Wow. And then we have a whole chapter in the Quran that is literally dedicated to Mary, the yeah. mother of Jesus. Like, like the Muslims do not play around with Jesus. He is one of the most critical, focal, like beings in, in the, in our entire faith, like everything's every time you open our book, Jesus, Isa, we call him in Arabic in our holy book. His name is Asa. Uh, he's everywhere. And I'm just like, Jesus loves me. And that kind of triggers some people. And you know me, I happen to just breathe and trigger people, Rob, as you know, <laughs> or even when you're not, or uh, even when I'm, amazing. even if I'm holding my breath, you're right. I probably would still trigger people. <laughs> so I guess you trigger them in a way that you inform them about who you really are versus uh, their imaginations. Absolutely. And the truth of the matter is that Jesus loves me. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be a lot of questions. A lot of questions. I mean, we might have to, you know, come back to the drawing board, but that initial thing that bonded you and me as this Muslim (laughs) Palestinian woman from Brooklyn and my Uzbeki Jewish brother from Queens is that Jesus loves us. It is so true. And I do remember when those trolls came and and uh, questioned us in that way. That's that is that did unite us in that way. And the response is always, yeah, but wait, which Jesus are you talking about? Yeah, because I'm trying to understand because I know that if you went to ask Jesus right now, he would be. I love these two right here. Yeah. yeah. He loves us. Not so just not covered. just because he just loves us because we're God's creations he loves us because Jesus was a truth teller and we are truth tellers. Jesus lo- fought for justice, was always amongst the most marginalized people. He chose to be amongst the poor, amongst the widows and the orphans. And yes, even the refugees, because Jesus was a refugee. And I think Jesus is quite impressed with us following in his path and the path of the prophets of being good and decent human beings that care for others. So Jesus loves me, and I'm very content with that. And then there's the pork, like pork solidarity block. Like we have well, that. Uh, the trolls are eating pork. Listen, Jesus and us are not. I'm just saying. <laughs> I, not only that, but you and I also condemn. And I don't use that word lightly. <laughs> and I never use the word condemn. You're never going to find me using it against a person. But I will condemn chocolate hummus. like this is a serious situation Roth. like this is probably that is like abomination like that is so i've never been more offended in my life when i walked into a supermarket and saw chocolate hummus and i was like i looked twice i was like this can't be happening no i literally took the chocolate hummus to the front of the supermarket and i was like what is this and they were like did you see that they just i said did you did i see that I I'm mean, horrified. we've been fighting. We've been fighting about everyone in like Mediterranean has been fighting about where that originated, and then we all stopped once someone came in with that chocolate 
or brownie flavor, whatever flavor hummus that they're inventing in these uh, hipster bodegas now, quote unquote bodegas. And I, I, I thought I would have to battle this. I thought I would have to like just quit my job and somehow become this person that destroys uh, this kind of uh, unholy <laughs> attack on hummus. But I realized like there are so many ancestors of both of ours they're going to do that for us. They're going to come to them in their sleep. They're going to follow them on their bicycles. There you go. You know, with the, when, when they're waxing their mustaches, <laughs> uh, they're going to be out there and they're going to take care of it for us on the ethereal plane. Listen, God is great. And God does not like chocolate hummus. Put away that chocolate hummus. If someone gave you a chocolate hummus as a gift, what, what is the right ethical thing to do? Oh, I don't think it's appropriate for me to even discuss on this public forum. <laughs> I mean, that person wouldn't be giving me a gift. No one that I love would give me chocolate hummus. It would be quite I mean, clear. generally advice to, who, who, if someone came to you and said, Linda, I heard your opinion on chocolate hummus. I agree. But my dear aunt came and gave me in a gift three stacks of chocolate hummus. What do I do? I would question everything about your aunt, everything mm. about her. She is not to be trusted. Yeah, she's suspect. Like, this is th suspect. This is like a serious yeah. situation. Like, chocolate hummus? No. Like, I, right now, you're we're having this conversation, and I'm very triggered by it. Yeah, like, my little emotions are bubbling up. Yeah, it's a lot. No chocolate hummus, folks. No brownie-flavored hummus. No nothing. It's called gorbanzo beans with some <laughs> olive oil. Some tahini paste and some salt and pepper and a little squeeze of lemon. And that's it, folks. Nothing wow. else. That's it. You move on. That's, that is what hummus is. All this extra stuff. Oh, yeah, actually, forgot an important ingredient. Garlic. You never can have you too much garlic, garlic. Yeah. in the hummus. So if you're having hummus without garlic, then you're not having hummus. You're having some and other thing. I'm not against, like, the garnishes. Like, some people put olives in the middle. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Oil. Like something the, the, garnishy. The, the, in the decorations. Yeah. That's your preference. That's it's, it's, you know, the, the, the Arabs will say the eyes are the ones that eat. So you want to make it look all pretty and put some tomatoes yeah. on the top. I'm with it. I do it too. But the actual substance, <laughs> it's like four ingredients, folks. If you anything else goes in there, just know that you are offending me and Roth, that you are personally offending us. And we will question everything about you, your friendship. Yeah. Your allyship. Yeah. And you cannot be in solidarity you're, with me if you eat chocolate hummus. You're suddenly being arriving at meetings that don't exist, with locations that don't exist, because mm -hmm. no one trusts you anymore. No. And no. everything on your calendar invite, you better pre-check it because that's a fake address. You're not mm -hmm. invited anymore. No more. No more. Yeah. So we're going to wrestle with the most pressing issue just like this in our society today. It's so, so this is another thing that I struggle with if we do this. So A, we're both, you especially, but we're both, and a lot of people who work in political stuff are going to be very busy. So I'm afraid to call this a podcast versus maybe a mini series first and then see if it, if it works out and then call it a podcast. <laughs> like, like, are we setting the expectations? Well, what you're really saying is, are we going to be alive? Well, that <laughs> forever to call this a podcast. Are we going to be able to live in a democracy? 
where you and I can use free speech and have a platform to speak the things that we want to speak. Is that what you're saying? I think we will always have, we would just subvert this and put it on another channel and rename it. Uh, Why, like some underground yeah, place? It would, it would just switch. It would just be like next mode. And then we weaponize it. But right now it's humor, it's love, it's uh, politics, occasionally something serious. For me, it's hard to pivot between, like today is a really sad day. Oh my with, God, so sad. With so many things, of course. You're in Kentucky. You're in the middle of a lot there. Brianna, the fight with you until freedom. Mm-hmm. And now a new fight. in Mitch McConnell's state. Yeah. Like, can I catch a break, people? Do I have to roll up to Mitch McConnell's house right now? Like, can't I just do one fight for justice at a time? Like, it's just a lot. But of course, I can't also put the expectation on our... BG, which many of us did, uh, that she had to somehow live forever. Because when no. God wanted her, God didn't want her to suffer anymore. So he took our BG from us. But we got to figure this out, Roth. This is a serious mm. situation. I mean, I know that we're going to have humor um, and love because we need that. In order for us to sustain ourselves for this long, long, long fight that we have, which could be for decades, we got to find some humor and joy in this. But today is a sad day. Yeah. So I did this thing where I found a phone number for people to leave voicemails. Of course, you find them. Ask like dating advice. You, you know, I don't think we have a lot of dating advice between us. Yeah, I have none. I have zero. <laughs> but they're gonna ask. They're gonna ask zero. because you're a good judge of character. Oh well, that yeah, maybe I could help with the whole good judge. They might tell you, you know, it might not be as simple as this guy came with chocolate hummus, but it might be like questions. Yeah. We'll I, I, I think the dating advice that I will have is I would be able to garner their po- see if you are dating a MAGA guy yeah. I'm probably going to tell you that's not a good idea that's yeah, an easy if, one if you're a guy if you're dating someone who was like supporting Joe Biden from day one when there were about 10 other people running probably not a good person to be hanging out with unless now, they're psychic like uh, unless be- unless they were psychic which is pretty rare in these days but if you're if the person you're dating now supports Joe Biden, I'll still question their character a little bit. But I also will say that they want to defeat fascists, which makes them uh, overall good, decent person. Yeah, agree. They have to come at it reluctantly. There you go. The end game in focus. You know, we're choosing our enemy, like our, our friend, our common friend, Nalini Stamps, a long time ago, the president race is not a litmus test for progressivism. It's the most practical uh, thing that you can, mm-hmm. you have to do. And we it's, were lucky recently with some good, a good candidate, <laughs> but, uh, but that's not the norm at all. It's not even close. Listen, I, this weekend, particularly with the sad news, I'm not going to lie to you. I was in a position and I stood up all night thinking about this. Bernie would have won. Yeah. And I'm so sad that my, Uncle Bernie, who's been fighting these fights for a long time, has been raising the alarms for a long time, um, is not on his way to be the president of the United States of America. And it makes me very, very sad that our that our people in our country couldn't believe that a guy who just cared, wanted health care for everybody, Ralph, that's what he wanted. He was like, everybody get health care. Cancel student debt. And now that we're in a pandemic, people can't even pay their debt back anyway. 
and cancel medical debt and raise the wage for everybody and divest from fossil fuels industry, which, as you know, is literally killing our planet. Like, like, Raf, if we get justice and we don't have a planet to live on, that justice is really not going to help at all. It's going to be like moot. So anyway, I just, I'm not going to lie. I did think about Uncle Bernie this, this past 24 hours. I love they you, Bernie. My, uh, some of my favorite people, to, or just the, some of the best people in this world are these are people who knock on doors and that I know, or professionally, volunteers, whoever. Like they are like doing God's work, right? And then the one story sticks out to me about our problem, our predicament, is a lot of people do want what Bernie is saying. A lot of even people we don't agree with on a lot of things. And one story I, I, I stuck with me for years was this uh, canvasser for Working Families Party, and he knocked on the door. He, he was white, blue-eyed, you know, uh, knocks on the door, another white person. Um, and he, the guy identifies as conservative, as like a Trump supporter. And the guy convinces him after this kind of long form canvassing to become a working families party member and to reevaluate what he believes in because he agreed with healthcare for all. He agreed with college debt. He agreed with like an economy based on working people. He agreed that no one should be poor. Even he agreed, if you cannot work, you shouldn't be poor. You know, he agreed on so many levels and then he signed a uh, check and he became a monthly donor to WFP, wow. took the check, closed the door, then the door opened. And he says, come back, come back here to the canvasser. Mm-hmm. And the canvasser says, what, what? When you say everybody, who do you mean? Mm. And then he's like, everybody. And he's like, what do you mean everybody? Like you and me or everybody? And then he says, everybody. And he says, give me my check back. Wow. Give me my check back. I don't want you guys to email me. I don't want you guys to door knock on me. So race is this, it's not invisible. It has never mm-hmm. been invisible, but to a lot of people it is, or Absolutely. people see parts of it. Mm-hmm. And it's just like this obstacle where people throwing out themselves <laughs> because of it, um, yeah, it's just like it never escaped me that there's mm-hmm. this fear of helping, of being universalist and yeah. like taking care of each other. Because a lot of people believe that when you give everybody, that somehow you have to give up something so that everybody else can have. Instead of believing that giving everybody means exactly what it means, which is everybody's going to have access and everybody's going to have a living wage and everybody's going to have access to high quality public education. I worked for Bernie um, in 2016 in Michigan. And while I was organizing and mobilizing Muslim Americans, which helped Bernie basically ha- get the biggest political upset in history, like nobody believed that Bernie Sanders can win a state like Michigan. Although I was organizing Muslims, I happened to be part of some canvases where we were organizing in parts of Michigan where it were predominantly white. And predominantly people who didn't, who were not left wing, they weren't socialists, they weren't even progressives per se. And some of the things that I heard, and it was new to me because I'm from New York, was people who supported Bernie. And I was like, why do you support Bernie? 
And they were like, oh, because, for example, Bernie Sanders uh, did not support the transatlantic partnership. He did not support NAFTA. And I, those weren't obviously issues that I ever worked on. It wasn't something that it was at the forefront of my work. But Bernie really did transcend political ideologies. And sometimes in politics, you're going to have people who don't agree with you on some issues support the same candidate as you because they support some of the issues that that candidate believes in. And so I really truly believe that Bernie Sanders was a a, a, a candidate that transcended. I mean, he was he would have had support anywhere from the left all the way to the right. And I know people will say, but we don't want to have, you know, have someone that's supported by the right. And I always say to people, sometimes we're going to have to sacrifice getting people who may not agree with us on every other issue who are going to get on board with the candidate so that we could all have something better. Right. And then we become the majority of those who believe in justice and believe in access to every, you know, to, to all these things that we were fighting for. But what happened was it wasn't that the right organizing against Bernie the people who claim to be on our team were organizing against Bernie. And I always wonder how can you and I be on the same team? And that's why I question this whole thing, like Democrats, Republicans, like, and people hate me for it. And a lot of, you know, this on Twitter, like most of the people that actually troll me are not Republicans. Yeah. I get a Republican here and there. Yes. I do get a white nationalist and a white supremacist here and there, but the people who often troll me are Democrats um, and neoliberal Democrats. And I'm just like, but you, but you know, you, if you, if you want to, all of us call ourselves Democrats, we all got to be on the same page, but we're not on the same page. And anyway, so I'm just a little sad that RBG yeah. died and Bernie Sanders is not going to be the president of the United States of America. <laughs> we have a belief that, uh, when in Judaism, when people die right at the end of the year, that they were on purpose held because of their mm. importance f- f- to the beautiful. world. That's beautiful. Um, so, mm-hmm. yeah. So we're we're beginning fifty seven eighty one. It's the Jewish eighties, nineteen eighty one in the in the Jewish calendar. And you know, uh, I was looking up what's the biggest song in nineteen eighty one, uh, and it was it was basically the first. It was Di- Diana Ross and Lionel Richie oh, singing man. Endless Love, which is to me when I played the video, it was like, oh, so this is the first episode of Versus. Because it was <laughs> oh exactly, I was like, why are we pretending someone else didn't invent this already? It was exactly. beautiful. I remember that. Lord have mercy. I mean, I watched it years afterwards. I was only one year old in 1981. One. I was one years old. I was, I was two, I think. Yeah. Oh, no, wait. I was 70. Oh, no, I was four. Four, three or four. Yeah, why are you why are you lying about your age? I'm the one. I'm the woman here. I'm supposed I'm supposed to lie about my age. <laughs> and uh, the 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 biggest movie, one of the biggest movies, was Escape from New York, which is terrible. oh wow. But it's so fitting because all these uh, all these folks on the social media saying they're going to leave our city because it's too <laughs> dangerous and scary and all of this thing. It's hilarious. Lord have mercy. Yeah, that internet is an interesting place, Roth. <laughs> There's been a lot of conversations lately about the internet and about Twitter and, you know, whatever. And I'm just like, listen, me personally, I, I don't know. I'm just like, look, the Twitter is here. You want to get on it, get on it. You don't want to get on it, don't get on it. If you can't handle the, the, the internet, then you know what I'm saying? It's like people have used Twitter for all kinds of things, but the funniest part for me has been that the same people who will be big, bad, and bold on Twitter will see me in real life 
Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, what you got to say now? Yeah. What you got right now? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and then the people on Twitter, some of them, not all of them, of course, will be out here being like, Raf, you should have done this this way and you shouldn't have done that. And this one, you shouldn't do this and that. And that's not how you do this and that. And I'm just like, what are you doing? Because I would really like to see a thread here of you listing out the things that you're doing that are so amazing and so brilliant. Also, what are you leading? Because I would love not to be a leader. (laughs) This leader situation is not something that I want. I want to follow. So I just want to show up somewhere. Just call me, tell me five o'clock, show up. I'm just going to show up, have my little book bag on. And I'm just like, the the amount of critics without credentials on those internet. Critics without credentials. Is so outrageous. The critics without credentials outnumber the actual organizers. Like I am outnumbered by critics without credentials. I don't. I'm just like I go to Instagram, they're there. I go to Twitter, they're there. I go to Facebook. I'm like, damn, there's a lot of y'all out here because they speak with so much confidence. Like as if they were, they're just like, this is how you do it. And I'm just like, whoa, wait, I'm doing everything wrong. And then I go and I look and what they're posting, and they're just like been posting about crap for like two months. 20 years, Raf, I've been doing everything wrong. <laughs> like, I might as well be Linda, oh, I middle name wrong, Sarsour. I remember. Wrong. Everything I do is wrong. And I'm just like, listen, I would love to be home with my family right now, <laughs> watching some Netflix. But I'm out here in these streets. And if you all got some other good, better plan than the one that I have, and I'm sure there are some good plans out there, please tell me about them. Because <laughs> I want to be part of your plan. I agree. Uh, please send us your plans. You can call 347-674-5683. And I found out, or you could just tweet us. Uh, what I found out is that if you convert that number, it's 674-LOVE. Oh, just randomly. So, you know, oh, it's, a ran- sign. Oh. it's a sign. Hold on a second, Raf. Nothing in life is, <laughs> nothing is random. There's nothing it's random. It's a sign. But it's also, if nothing is random, it also, the whole number spells out firm pie love. And who doesn't love a firm pie? Yeah, I don't like no watery pies. No, I don't like pie. I think, no, pie is the most, first of all. What? Cheesecake is pie. And that's the only pie I like. Cheesecake. Yeah, nah. But we're, pie? Gonna to, we're gonna have to. We're gonna have to work on this, Raf. We could talk about it, but you pie may just. Is you may horrible. have never had a good pie. What kind but, of pie? Should but I? A, but a nice warm apple pie with some vanilla ice cream. Like what? That cinnamon. It's not even real. Like when you slice an apple pie and you put it in your mouth, it's not like in one piece. It's like a, well, life is not just one piece. You know, not everything can be. Sometimes perfect. I just want a pie. Not life. Oh, is that what it is? I just want something to be controlled in a nice piece, like a cheesecake. If you cut a cheesecake. It stays a triangle is what you're saying. Yeah, and then you get it in there. What I'm saying, it's all about perspective. You close your eyes and you have a spoonful of, or a forkful of pie, and it's beautiful and delicious. You and I are going to work on this. I'm going to take it. We'll talk about it. We'll see who comes out on top. I'm gonna make Faiza Ali make you a pie because she makes some great oh, pies. Oh, really? I've never she heard. She sure that. does. She's a baker. Whoa! All these millennial bakers out there. Shout Listen. out to millennial baker. Millennial bakers. Uh, it's kind of amazing. You Zoomers need to catch up. Uh, there's some sourdough stuff going on with millennials. So here's the thing, Roth. What are we? Because there's a debate about that. 
yeah, there's a there's it's weird. It's like horror. It's like astrology a little bit. Like, so technically, depe- yeah, it depends on where you are. Like I'm a 1980, yeah. 1980s. I was born in the, the decade of the 80s, right? Yeah. So technically speaking, I should be a millennial, yeah. but I feel old. I don't feel millennialish. Yeah. So am I? A, am I between? There got to be like a specific term for people who are like millennial slash something else. There is. There's um. What's that cost? Millennial cost that. I think I I don't know if you belong in it, but you're near it. I belong definitely in it. It was uh, a gen uh, exennial. Exennial. So I might be like an exennial junior because I'm Where still. We, do you find yourself explaining Zoomers to Boomers and Boomers uh, to Zoomers a lot? Do you find yourself like I do find my, I do find myself doing that. That that makes sense. We're like this bridge uh, between these two factions. That sounds that sounds about right. Like I'll tell a zoomer, I mean I'll tell a boomer, listen, they don't trust you. And not for anything huge. Like there's a lot of huge things they don't trust you for. But there is this one particular thing that I keep hearing. They're peeling out from their apartments this plastic linoleum that you put on top of beautiful wooden floors. Or like wall carpeting with all these stables. They're reclaiming. They're removing this thing. I don't know why you cover this. We don't understand. Or the plastic on the couches. Oh, my God. My grandma used. I don't know. Is that a millennial thing? Or is that like a depression, era, post-depression era? That was. That was in the I good mean, era. I, well, I think that, that was the good era. I think that's what also millennials are rebelling against as well. They're plastic ripping the plastic off the couches. My mom. Listen, my my family still does that. My mom has plastic on the dining room table, a nice plastic that she bought a guy to customize. My parents do that. On the coffee tables. Like my mom's not playing around with the tables. No, my parents have that too. We used to have a room. Our living room was just for guests. We were never allowed in it. It was covered in a plastic furniture coverings. Uh, It had plastic fruit in a bowl. Yeah, oh my. And there was like the the china behind the the china. Yeah. All behind them, like in this, and that's only we used for special guests. And this is where we I got in trouble. There was the fancy chocolates, where people we would give don't, from people come over. Don't touch the fancy chocolate. Don't touch. But what I did, I figured out a system. I would cut out holes in the bottom of the boxes and remove the jelly rings or the dates oh, or whatever right. from the bottom. And then they would they would come with some important guest, and they would open it, and it would just be half empty. It looked like some kind of rodent went through it. Was jelly rings? My dad used to sell them at the store. Oh there was a there was a brand called Joy. Joy, and, yes, yeah, oh, yeah. My, or maybe that's what it was called. Maybe. But I was calling the Joy, <laughs> and it was he was selling it because you know my dad owned the store for about forty years in Crown Heights, uh, and so my dad had to get different things that the local Jewish community could eat. Yeah, and listen, we had boxes of those in the house. Those, those, were, those were there's no Joy in it. There's no Joy in it. <laughs> There is no joy in Kentucky right now. $43? Oh, my God. What? It's from that isolated Jew somewhere, desperate. This is what I'm talking about. Oh. You see it, Ra? I don't think I've had this one. No, I've never had that one. It's kosher. Yo. It was definitely legit kosher because the Orthodox Jews used to come and buy them for my dad. 
So I knew they were legit. And I knew that I didn't have to look at the ingredients because if the Jews eat it, then as a Muslim, I'm good to go. Oh, yeah. Oh, that was like, a thing in, uh, in Uzbekistan. And Tajikistan was, mm-hmm. you know, Soviets would make it illegal to prepare food uh, halal or kosher. And uh, Imam and the rabbis would always get together and figure shit out. Like, yeah, so, we we our mitzvahs, so we went to the mosque because the mosque was a museum. Mm-hmm. Right? It was like cultural heritage mm-hmm. site. And we would go to the mosque. Ooh, look at this pretty walls. Look at this. Like, oh, and, nice. then you get, and then you get our mitzvah. And then we just have a, like a bar mitzvah on the down low. Like, <laughs> like unpack the bags, you know. And then, uh, and then oh. we had like a, you know, you had to like bribe a lot of the, the authorities to do kosher. And the imam said like, if you can't do halal, you could get kosher. He called it uh, halal plus. He's like, they're mm-hmm. even more picky with what they're not eating. Like, there's even more. And, and guess what? It's it's halal. So we're good. Oh, yeah, that, absolutely. And then the other thing my dad used to sell that we used to eat all the time was, um, I probably, I'm going to say it wrong, but it was like, it's the, for me, it was a chocolate croissant, but it was actually rugelach. <laughs> oh, my God. The thing, this, look, this is what we used to eat. Oh. And I used to love it so much. And my dad um, would get it from this, Jew- this like, Jewish bakery looks like this. <laughs> Let me see. Is it? See, that's like, that's out of Poland. So it's outside of my, I have oh. some slight understanding of it. I've tasted it. I've Delicious. never, you know, yeah. Yeah, we just, we just call it cookies here in, in my family. Like pass those uh, Polish cookies. Yeah, I, was, I call them chocolate croissants. Chocolate croissants, cookies. That's probably the most offensive thing I probably said on this call. So I apologize. <laughs> I, on this, this. We know, might have I, to edit it out. We might have to edit it out, and I apologize, <laughs> but it was delicious. <laughs> Actually, I still have them every once in a while when I'm in the city. Um, but I haven't <laughs> been in New York for a while, so I haven't had them. One thing I, I'm experimenting with for this podcast or mini series, whatever we're calling it, the segments, what are the segments? We want people's ideas of what segments we should have. One segment I thought, of course, would, since we have a number, people are going to ask us questions. Uh, it's called new phone, who this, and I'm going to play the intro. This is the first time Linda's hearing it. So I don't even know if I have approval, but let's see. Linda's from Brooklyn, Raphael from Queens, Palestine and Jewish, Newfoundland is. Linda is from, Linda Brooklyn, from Brooklyn, Raphael from, Raphael Queens, from Queens, Palestine and Palestine. New phone, who this? New phone, who this? New phone, who this? I mean, she really wants to know. She really wants to know. Who is this? And then she then she says, "Who the you know what is this?" And I don't know yeah. if our people are going to approve of this uh, yeah, so language. Another thing. Another thing. Should we keep this a clean show? Should we bleep that out? I think that if we are going to be reaching out to a broad base of mm-hmm. people, yeah. 
I think that our communities would appreciate that we could say some very <laughs> difficult and uncomfortable things and be extra spicy without using bad words, Ra. Right. I know yeah. we all have different preferences, but I say yeah. we keep it as clean as possible. Yeah, we could bleep it out. We could yeah, that's, it and out. I, actually, that might be funny. That might be funny. <laughs> if it's like, who the mm is this, it might be funny. But we're not, we, the spice rack is intact. The spice rack continues. The spice rack. But we might not have ghost pepper in there. <laughs> I don't even know what ghost pepper is, but it's, it's the hottest. It's the hottest pepper in the in the family of peppers. Because when you eat ghost pepper, you become a ghost. You're dead. <laughs> Bye. So then segments. One segment idea is answering calls or messages. Uh, other segment idea I was thinking, and I wanted to get your thoughts mm -hmm. on, was something about like live from Queens, live from Brooklyn, like what's going on in Queens and Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. And a little bit, I think it should be a little competitive, a little although we love, because you know. But how am I going to leave live from Brooklyn when I'm still in Kentucky? You're still Brooklyn, though. I am still Brooklyn. I mean, I, you, ever, I, you brought a brick wall behind you with you. I sure I did. See this? <laughs> That's from makes Brooklyn. Me, makes me feel at home. No, but I mean, like, obviously, like, the two big things from Queens and Brooklyn today. Brooklyn, you know, RBGs from Brooklyn. That's a big, mm -hmm. people forget that. And I, I actually forgot that until I heard a clip with her voice again. And I was like, that's Brooklyn. And then in Queens, Tiffany Caban running for city council, our girl. Oh, oh listen, y'all, y'all, listen, y'all got some good folks out there. I'm not going to lie. You also got my little Zohran Mamdani. Oh, yes. That's, so y'all. That's in the pocket. You got, already. Je, you got Jessica um, Gonzalez Rojas. You got in a couple pocket, of people. Listen, these people are gonna be there. Listen, but I, listen. Still gotta run. Oh, Tiffany! Tiffany's gonna run, and she gonna win. Just so you know, there's no question in my mind that not only she gonna win, she may <laughs> she gonna crush that for sure. We, we uh, she released a video announcing her run, and guess who made it? Nadia, my daughter, and myself together, we made it in like 24 hours. Well, it was kind of amazing. Just so Nadia knows, <laughs> I'm afraid of what this child is going to do in this world. And I mean that more from a place of like, <laughs> am I even ready for Nadia to go out into this world yeah, and be? She is amazing and brilliant and fabulous and smart. And she's also spicy. She's spicy. She is a very spicy one. She's she's uh, put me in my place. Listen, she gives me hope. Like every time I'm 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 down and out, I'm like, listen, there are some young people out in these streets, and people that are alive right now. I think we're gonna be all right. We just yeah. gotta save this planet for them. We may not get justice in other places, but just let's hold out and save this planet. And I think we're gonna be all right. She's a sunrise girl now. She's been That's right. Phone banking. She did the Ed Markey thing. Talking to all these people. She's like, what accent is that? How are, you know, because she's talking to people in Massachusetts. I'm just like, that's Massachusetts. <laughs> like, there's yes, different accents yeah. around the country. She's like, I want to call everywhere. I want to hear every accent. I'm like, every, Michigan is accent. Like, well, like in Michigan, there's an organization yeah. that I worked for called Access. Access. And then they say, they say Access. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm like, yeah. I, 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 it grew on me after a while. But when I first heard it, I was like, why do you all talk different than us?
<laughs> What's going on? Everybody knows I'm from Brooklyn wherever I go. I could be in the boonie, I, I, I could be in the boonies of Arkansas. And all mm-hmm. I have to be like is, can I have a cup of coffee <laughs> and a cup of water? And they're like, they not only know me from the coffee and the water, but the fact that I said cup of water and not glass of water. Oh, yeah. We'll take it like, in any shape. We'll take the water like, in any they're like, are you from Brooklyn? And I look around and I'm like, and I look at my shirt. I'm like, I'm not wearing nothing. I don't know. And then, I, and then they look at me like, come on. Nobody around here says coffee or water. Thank you very much. Wow. Oh, amazing. Does it give you, do you think it gives you kind of a head start with folks? Like when they know, right? Like something to talk about, I guess. Listen, I, you know, I'm not one of those people that's going to tell you, Ralph, that I would go around the country and everybody's an Islamophobe and a racist. This Brooklyn situation gave me some street creds in a lot of spots, especially when I went to, I went to Kelowna, Iowa, which is a Mennonite town. It's literally Amish. I'm talking about Amish, Amish, like the ones that are like still riding the horses type situation. And they were so mesmerized by everything about me, about being a Muslim, talking about Palestine, which many of them did not know anything about it. And, and then the best part that they really were like enthralled by was my Brooklyn. And I'm telling you, this Brooklyn little situation right here is not so bad. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I, listen, some people will, you know, there's always some horrible people here and there. But overall, my Brooklyn street creds have been there for me when I needed them. I mean, there's people out there naming their kids Brooklyn. Listen, that's what I'm talking about. Like my mom should have named. My mom was an immigrant, so she didn't have that little edge yet. But I mean, I should have been named Brooklyn. Oh, that would have changed the game. Yo, imagine I would have been walking out here being like Brooklyn Sarsour. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't think people would have been ready for that one. No, it would have been too much. It would have been too much. What is the news with Brianna right now? The news with Brianna Taylor is it's been too long. It's been over six months since she has been murdered and only one police officer has been fired who really was the low hanging fruit. He was already a terrible police officer just based on the letter or the firing letter that we saw from the commissioner. And now we're in the part of the case where the family has now went forward with the civil suit. They got the settlement. It was a $12 million settlement, which, you know, gets shared amongst a lot of people. There was a lot of attorneys in the situation but the point is, it's the largest settlement in the history of Kentucky that has ever has ever been given to a family. And it also uh, is a settlement that comes with some police reforms. So some very important reforms around warrants and about chain of command on warrants, because as you know, in the warrant that uh, the no knock warrant that really took the life of Breonna Taylor, the officer lied and went mm-hmm. directly to a judge. And so there was no, no, there was no command, you know, some other, you know, supervisor, some other commanding officer that was like, actually, this don't seem right. So that never happened. So there's a lot of new reforms that are part of the settlement, which I think people need to know because it, it shows the, the commitment um, of this mother that she didn't just say, okay, I'm going to win a civil suit and get, you know, and, and, and get this restitution, which of course is not arresting the cops. I'm also, I also want to use my daughter's name for some change. So that happened on recently. Uh, And then we have still been organizing. We did a big rally yesterday outside of the office of the attorney general led by Brianna's mother because she wanted everyone to know there was no gag order. She did not sign a document to get money so she can stop fighting for justice for her daughter. So she came out yesterday in front of the attorney general's office and said, arrest the cops. 
Do your job, Daniel Cameron, arrest the cops. And I want to tell people that there is no amount of money that can be given to a mother whose daughter you stole that is going to ever bring back her daughter. So for me, I don't care if they gave her, and the mother said this yesterday, if she had a choice to get her daughter back, she'll give back the city every dime, which she, she, by the way, hasn't gotten yet. She will give back every dime, and every mother would give back every dime if they can get their child back. So right now we are still in the fight for Breonna Taylor, uh, there has been rumors that the attorney general has begun presenting to a grand jury. And so that within a very short period of time, mm-hmm. we will hear of a announcement about charges or maybe no charges. The point is here that Daniel Cameron better do his job and better get some justice for this family because the Louisville people are not going to sit back and just, you know, not get justice. And so that's what we're waiting for. That's what we're out here doing. This, I'm glad to hear that settlement included the reform stuff because mm-hmm. the settlement business, there was this vice piece about what they call police brutality bonds, like loosely. And it's basically these cities, they can't afford to pay these settlements, right? With when they, when their police kill mm-hmm. people. So then the, the city borrows money by send it, selling bonds and wall street buys those bonds. And they're like zero risk because cities always pay up. Mm-hmm. eventually right so there's zero risk and the fees and the interest everything not the interest but like the the cost of it is so high uh that the wall street multiplies their money with it mm-hmm. um so then it, it incentivizes like because wall street is now also donating to candidates and some other mm-hmm. candidates are for police reform or re- defunding or whatnot and some are against it mm-hmm. so now it incentivizes wall street to don't to donate to the ones against it like it's, it, it makes literally you can draw a line with police brutality, making money for Wall Street on the settlements. And then also, of course, we're not even going to touch like uh, forced labor inside the in, in the prison. Oh, absolutely. Anything. I mean, I think there were potentially some bonds that were even involved in this case because the city actually only paid up directly five hundred thousand dollars, which is very small when you know that the settlement is twelve million dollars. There's also different insurance claims. So they were able to get. I guess the city has some sort of insurance. So, you know, so that means insurance companies are somehow, because there's no way that insurance companies are just giving out free money. They have had to have made money over time. Oh, they jack up your, they're going to jack up the insurance too. Like there's yeah, just, so, everyone's making money. Off. So this, when people were like, oh, taxpayer dollars, well, a lot of it, the majority of the money that of the settlement was in insurance claims and other types of um, kind of pots of money that have already been, that are, that are available basically for this case, or not just for this case, but these types of cases. And that's why qualified immunity um, and being able to sue, um, you know, police officers directly. I think the, the challenge with that, Ralph, and we have to have these hard conversations because people are calling for qualified, to end qualified immunity is that a lot of these police officers don't have assets. They don't have stuff. So we would have to figure out how to get into the police union, into the pension funds, to get the, 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 the police unions to pay up when their police officers murder people. Because individual police officers oftentimes are not people that are, you know, sitting on millions of dollars mm-hmm. themselves. Their pensions might have some money in them, but they're also not going to have multi, they're, like no police no. officer has $12 million in a pension right now. And so it, we, we have to have, th- these are nuanced conversations. We can't just be calling for things without remembering that 
the people who lost their children deserve some sort of restitution. Yeah. Um, and they, we have to have some way of alleviating some of the trauma and some of the loss that they have had. Sometimes a lot of these people are losing maybe their husbands or maybe their partners who are their breadwinners and, and cannot be able to operate. They might be a person with a disability that mm -hmm. can't have a job. So the point is we need to be as a movement, you know, a little more thoughtful in, in what we're calling for and making sure that there are alternatives for these families to get some sort of restitution. Yeah. And then in terms of arrest, like how do you wrestle? I know I wrestle with the idea of this is abolitionist vision. And then at the same time calling for arrest, mm -hmm. you know, and how do those things, I don't think it's hypocritical to operate in the space that we are stuck with right now, which is, justice is that right now mm -hmm. but also yeah i i could see how people are questioning like well what does abolition really mean to you if you're not calling especially the fact that the people who are the uh, folks activists who are the most activated about abolition and the most vocal about it are from the frontline communities that are getting killed by police absolutely so like for them to be saying you're killing me and I still don't think that you should rot in prison. To me, it's just like so hard. It's like, A, I'm in awe of this person. Mm -hmm. B, like, how do we do this? How do we, Absolutely. how do we, right now, how does a cop like that get arrested and go through the thing? And we have a sense of justice for what, for what he did. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm an, yeah, absolutely. And I think this conversation is a really important one, especially for people who are trying to understand abolition. Abolition is a vision, a vision that we all commit to and commit to, commit to the work that will get us to the place where we can live in a society that does not require police or prisons. And I am committed to that. And I believe in the potential of humankind and human beings to live in a society where we don't require those things. In the interim, there's so many factors that are involved, right? In order for us to get to a place of where we don't have prisons, where we don't have police, there's a lot of work to do and we have to be committed to that work. But in the meantime, there are two parallel tracks. There's a parallel tracks of using the current systems to bring justice for our communities and continuing forth on the vision and the pathway towards abolition. So my thing is like, you don't give up your abolition, your abolitionist commitment and your abolitionist vision um, by saying arrest the cops right now, because right now there is no restorative justice process in place for cops who murder people. So the question then becomes, what do you give these families? I don't think it's fair to say to a family, hold on a second, wait 60 years, wait 40 years, wait 20 years until we get to a place where we don't have cops and, and, and prisons and you get some sort of restorative justice process. The families are grieving right now and the, their children have been taken to, from them, their loved ones have been taken from them. So if the system that we currently have is, is, is being used against black and brown people and poor people, well then the system has to also be holding those very police officers who are murdering and brutalizing our community. So I know it's a hard place to to feel like you're you're kind of being tugged in kind of two different directions. Yeah. But I don't actually think it's hypocritical. I think it is the right thing to do in this moment. And I, I, th I hope that people join us on this journey and really believing in ourselves that we can live in a, in a society without police and prisons. But in order for that to happen, Raf, it's not just about our criminal justice system and kind yeah. of figuring out how to transform it. You need we need economic justice. You know, we need racial justice. We, we need justice in every aspect of our life so that we can get to the place of no prisons. Because the reasons why there is crime in these communities, the reason why that there's, you know, 
all kinds of ills and you know that, that an injustice is because there are other elements of the of, of our society that we have to figure out how to transform and and criminal justice is literally one small portion of the so many systems that have to literally be dismantled and, and, and reimagined um so arrest the cops arrest the cops charge the cops convict the cops definitely fire these cops like i don't even oh, understand I mean, Tamika, if you saw Tamika D. Mallory, it was such a beautiful sight because a lot of times, Raf, what happens is people will criticize you before you even get to the space. So what happened was when the settlement uh, uh, press conference happened, Brianna Taylor's family asked that Tamika from Until Freedom come and be part of the press conference. And people were, before Tamika even said a word, people were like, why would you stand with the mayor? Why are we standing with the mayor? Why are... And really what Tamika um, did on that, that press con or did at the press conference was absolutely extraordinary. Yes, she was on the stage with the mayor, but she was also on the stage with Breonna Taylor and with Breonna Taylor's attorneys. And what she said to the mayor, she turned back and looked back at the mayor and said, if there will, if there will be no justice, there will be no peace in the city. And are you prepared if the grand jury does not come back with an indictment of any police officers, will you be prepared as the mayor to do your job? And it within your power, which is to fire all the cops that were involved in the murder of Breonna Taylor. Again, the restitution portion is one part, but arresting the officers is what will make this city do right by its citizens and not just Breonna Taylor, but all the Breonna Taylors across this city who are afraid sitting in their homes because to not have an indictment happen in this city is to say that no matter how much we pay, no matter how much reform we do, we rather pay, we rather cover it than to deal with the issue. And so I have to say to you, Mayor Fisher, we want to thank you for your leadership, but we want to say that if for any reason these officers are not indicted, that you must instruct your police department to fire every single one of them on the spot. That is called getting justice for Breonna Taylor. Thank you very much. And that's why you need activists and organizers to not just, she wasn't working inside outside strategy. She was an outsider on the stage with the insiders telling them in their face on national television, mm -hmm. by the way, this was a press conference broadcast on national television where she put the mayor of Louisville on blast and put him up against the wall and said, if there is no justice here, are you already to do something, which is yeah. to fire the cops? And so he had, listen, that's already on the table. If you already got blasted on national television, so God forbid that there is no indictment, we're going back to Mayor Fisher and we're going to be prepared to, to fight for this at least basic, I mean, this is the bare minimum, yeah. fire the cops. Yeah. Well, I'm so appreciative and I know so many people are of you all being down there. Um, and I know Tamika, like the most haunting word that, that, that stuck with me from Tamika is when she said, I'm going to be where my people are no That's matter it. what. And mm -hmm. she's, is she, she lives that every day. Um, she'll be on all the stages, all the back rooms, whatever it takes. Um, and it's just so um, powerful. It's incredible, Raf, just to let people know just a, quickly a little bit about for us, you know, we've been through a lot, as you know, um, and you've followed our journey and you also have been a great ally in solidarity of these these women of color. Um, 
who have, you know, sometimes have been unfairly targeted. One of the things that um, we've, and at some points have lost some hope, but really being in Louisville, Kentucky, really brought us back to our roots. This is what we do. We're, we're local organizers. We're the door knockers. We're the people that want to talk to everybody on the street. We have been canvassing in the West End of Louisville, which is literally a food apartheid, like food desert out here. The, the lack of affordable housing, the poverty, Roth. I've been to many states around the country. I've seen poor people before. I've, I know poor people. I fought alongside poor people in this country. But what I've seen in Louisville, Kentucky is absolutely outrageous. Um, and that we have all this money that we're, we spend on so many other things like increasing budgets for police departments, but we cannot even allow people to live a dignified life. So being in Louisville, Kentucky to fight for Brianna has also reminded us of the power of local organizing, the power of building community, the power of knowing people's names on the street. You know what I'm saying? Like right now when we go to Brianna Square, there's a lot of like occupiers there. We know everybody. We know everybody's name. People dance at night to violate curfew after 11 o'clock. There's joy. There's sorrow. There's, you know, anxiety. But there's community. And that's really what I felt like when I became a national organizer, I lost a little bit of that. I lost a piece of who I am. And being Louisville really has restored in me what it truly means to be an organizer, someone that um, is committed to a group of local people that where we can see actual tangible change and actually see the leadership in ordinary people. Like the people here on the streets of Louisville, a lot of them were not organizers, nor were they activists before Memorial Day weekend, when a lot of them found out about the murder of Breonna Taylor. And to see the courage and the consistency of local people who are like, I'm a fight for my people, has just been really, mm-hmm. for me, in, in a horrible year like 2020, and horrible is an understatement, has been a humbling, transformative experience for me. And I'm looking forward to just going back and really working in my own local community back in Bay Ridge and just figuring out what more we can do amongst just, you know, your own neighborhood. And I, and I'm looking forward to 2021 in New York city with a lot of these grassroots campaigns that will be running so much young people, young people of color, black women and marginalized folks and immigrants mm-hmm. um, running, it's going to be, it's going to be a hot mess because some, in some places, Raf, our friends will run against each other face palm in some places. Yeah. Um, but I, I still think it's going to be an inspiring 2021. That touches on like this amazing thing that happened where, you know, like we do dream, we've always dreamed about having multiple progressive candidates. Um, and now we have the dream come true. Um, in a lot of these elections, we have multiple progressives running um, in the primary. And in, in Tiffany Caban's case, Jesse Sarodi, there's mm-hmm. this guy, he's progressive, good dude, was running in Tiffany Caban's district in Queens. Tiffany Caban announced this dude reevaluated everything. He's right on all the issues. He's amazing. She is frontline. She grew up in the projects. She's Latina. She's queer. She's a legal background. Rikers Island is in that district. So she can now, you know, she's like, I'm back. You know, Mm -hmm. the things that she wanted to do as DA. She's like, I'm back. Nice little island you have over there. And she's going to be able to really influence closing that, that, Mm -hmm. that place down. And this dude wrote this thing and just immediately suspended this campaign and backed her up. And just like was this amazing ally. I can't imagine like doing that, like having people invest in my campaign, having all my family and friends like sacrifice and then doing this and then just doing the right thing as a white person, doing the right thing. And 
we as a left or progressive or whatever culture in New York City in the movement have to figure this out. And he they Absolutely. created a model like we're going to have multiple people running. How do we do this now? What are the, the ground rules? Like how mm-hmm. who's, gonna, who's gonna be like Jesse Sorority? Who's gonna be not like that? And we lose like we did in Sunset Park because we split the we split the vote um, uh, between progressives. So mm-hmm. like, I mean, Jesse needs a shout out, and yeah. we got to give that. We got to actually um, applaud that type of decision making and behavior. And we have to be as a left like we need to figure out how Jesse gets his credence. Why? Because that isn't something easy to do, and especially not for a white man, right? If he's a white man, that's like, that's what I'm talking about right there. And I want to actually give a shout out to somebody else who did that very recently that also I don't believe got the kind of, you know, um, recognition, which was Andum. Andum is a young Eritrean American who is absolutely remarkable, Raf. He is a remarkable human being. In fact, you know where I met him? Not in the streets of New York City. I met him in Palestine. I happened to go to Palestine in 2018, was invited to speak at a local American funded school um, by a a Quaker school. And they had a program during the summer where they would bring refugees from the Palestinian refugee children from the the kind of neighboring refugee camps. And I walk into this refugee camp because obviously I'm Palestinian and speak um, Arabic. So they wanted me to come and, you know, inspire Mm -hmm. these kids like, look, I'm Palestinian too. And I live in America kind of thing. (laughs) And I walk in and I'm like, who's this young black man went up to him and was like, oh, hey, salam alaikum. Because I also thought he might be black Palestinian because we have those in Palestine. And then he immediately, you know, responded to me and he was like, alaikum salam, but he's not. <laughs> and, um, you know, immediately had a whole conversation with him. And he was like, oh, I'm from New York City and, well, and I'm a teacher. And I'm like, what? And so anyway, that's just the kind of person, you know. And when Jamal Bowman was running against Elliot Engel, as you know, Andam was in the race as well. Yeah, and I when, do. We interviewed him. He, yeah. He, he, we were going to endorse him or Jamal. Uh, when we mm-hmm. him. He and, and, you know, and Jamal. Away. Totally. And then Jamal, of course, had a little bit of a head start uh, from Andum and, of course, had a, already had kind of solidified some support from progressives. And that's what happens. You know, what happens is, is that people will literally um, be in a situation where um, they look out for the interest of everyone. And he made a very hard decision also as a young man, a young black man, and said, you know what, I want to rep- I want to defeat Elliot Engel because of all these issues that I care about. And I'm going to put my support behind Jamal. And I hope that more people do that. And to be quite honest with you, I'm in a state where that could have also happened and we could have been defeating Mitch McConnell. But then we had, I mean, Amy McGrath, like I, I, listen, do I want her to beat Mitch McConnell? Of course I do. But do I think she's going to beat him? She's not. Why? Because she saw an opportunity here during the Democratic primaries in Kentucky where all this momentum, black, white, Jewish, Muslim, everybody, you know, from the from the top to the bottom, from the left to the right, I mean, not all the way at the right, but even some, you know, not so progressive people who were like, saw, saw the leadership of Charles Booker, saw the potential in Charles Booker and saw this as a great opportunity to make some history. And she knew that. And as you saw, he almost won that primary. I mean, she looked, lost by a very, very tiny little margin. And all that white woman needed to do was to say, you know what? I ran a good race. I tried my best but this is the future of America. This right here is mm-hmm. where we need to be going. And let's, I'm going to get myself out of this race and I'm going to go and back Charles Booker. Because if you added their votes together, they could have crushed Mitch McConnell in a general election. And Charles mm-hmm. Booker 
would have won that primary. And then immediately the people who had already voted in absentee ballots, you know what I'm saying? Couldn't really change their vote to Charles Booker once he got momentum. He would have crushed it. But this the, the, politics requires humility, requires a, 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 a mind that tells you, you know what? I'm a good person. I'm a great candidate. I know if I, if I took that place, I can do right. But this person right here, that's the person that needs to do it. And so I hope that in 2021, particularly for New Yorkers, you know, especially in these 26 or more city council seats, if you see, if you're white and you see a young person of color who is progressive, who has support, who is, you know, eloquent, who understands the issues, who's all the things that we need for a leader, just, just bow out, just bow out. And I promise you that you will find another person place for leadership. Yeah. Uh, we will find you another leadership position, but we cannot be doing this in 2020. Not only will we find you another leadership position. That's your campaign ad, how you did that, how you mm-hmm. bowed out because your end game wasn't yourself. It was the community. Exactly. That's like the biggest, that you don't even need a campaign ad. You just put in that letter and this is what I did for my community. Um, and, and this is who I am. And also don't wait until you have to bow out before you run, before you wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to run. Why don't you ask around, look around who's out there? Who can I support? Who looks like the community that I live in? Uh, because more and more in these communities, you, you're not the majority uh, anymore. And mm-hmm. the majority is Latino, woman, black, immigrant, like young. And all those things should come into play. And you should wonder like, Am I here for me or am I here for this community? And if you're here for the community, why haven't I heard before you ran that you looked around? That's and if right. you looked around and you tried to find someone and you you pushed people, you pulled people to run and then no one did and whatever, God bless you. I, I will back your campaign. Like we couldn't find, we did our damnedest, which I don't think it's possible not to find someone if you really do a good job looking, but, but you know, things happen, but I want to see that work before you even dare to wake up and run. Well, you know how they say it, it, it is a woman, or even just a woman herself is asked to run like 10 times before she considers mm-hmm. it even. You and mean like in the morning and just says, I'm going to run. That's <laughs> like, it. You mean, you mean like when you organize a call to organize around the Supreme Court justice, but you never, you don't need, I don't even need you to do the work. You just have to remember things. Like it was black and brown women who were leading the cancel Kavanaugh fight. But hey, that was so long ago. Amnesia hits our movements quite often, don't you think? Uh, I just want to make sure if people hear that subtweet version of the podcast where yes. uh, people holding meetings about showing up against uh, Supreme Court folks. Uh, remember who started that and why don't they uh, speak in your meetings? <laughs> why are not they uh, consulted? And I, don't, and I don't even mean me, just to be clear. No, uh, you, know, um, you know, the people that were stopping elected officials in the elevators, maybe? Um, the, people were, um, the people who were bird-dogging senators <laughs> at the airport? You know, those people? I'm just... I'm just Shout out to Tracy Corridor. Shout out to Ana Maria Archila. Shout, Shout out, out to Jennifer Epps Addison. <laughs> Shout out to Winnie Wong. Shout out to a lot of black and brown women. But hey, women. you know, one day, Raf, when I die, you're going to tell my story. <laughs> Thank you. I'm, I'm writing it down. This has been a great, great 
first crack. Yeah. Of this mini series, I'm going to call it. We might have three volumes, maybe six. Yes, maybe and you might need a you might need a publicist because you're going to have to, or a crisis communications expert because <laughs> you just got yourself into a lot of hot water without even boiling the water yet. <laughs> whenever this happens, and we can end with this because whenever this happens, whenever someone says, "Rafia, how are you? What, Linda? What? Like how? Why?" And I'm just like, what issue do you have? And then if they articulate that issue to me, and then I say, okay, would you like to talk to Linda about that issue? Because I think you'll be surprised. I'm like, you'll be surprised that, in fact, in many ways, in some cases, more moderate than you, in fact, or more pragmatic than you. I would say pragmatic more. And I would say the end goal of Linda's is the community, including you. And it would surprise you how much it includes you. Like you still, you we're gonna end on giving you some homework to do, Roth. And that <laughs> homework more. is you have never put out that video of us and David oh, Weissman. Yes, because that is. I mean, he was the biggest troll I ever had in my life. Like, <laughs> I can't wait to put that. Out. He, he he trolled my life like twenty four hours a day, and then he was in a different time zone at one point because he was living in Israel at the time. Yeah. And he literally every day YouTube videos being like, I want to debate Linda Sarsour and blah, 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 and every day. And every day he was writing blogs for Times of Israel and all this stuff yeah. and every day. And I don't know why I never blocked the guy because I'm really good at black, 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 <laughs> but I just never blocked him. And so that day when we met him in real life, I was like, this is going to be a little interesting. Uh, and it yeah. was a good situation. Well, now the pressure's on me because I've been publicly called out for not having edited this video we took of Linda meeting one of the most former, but former. like one of the most outlandish trolls <laughs> that, that stalked her on, on Twitter and a lot of other people. And now like has, Donald Trump lover, like super oh Donald Trump, like, yeah. like pro Israel unconditionally, unconditional. like every, like every, everything that you could think of. I mean, even the photographs he would post, like it was like this tough guy and this and that. And then like when we met him, he wasn't a tough guy. He was a sweetheart. He, he cried. He cried. He was a sweetheart. He like, I when I think about him, my heart gets warm right now. Yeah, because he, he literally cried, like tears happened? and everything. Like, I'm not going to spoil the film. Yeah, don't spoil the thing. I'm not you just got to do the work. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to spoil it. But it's, it's, it's a story we need right now. And not just to tell you, like, just talk to Linda if you have a problem with Linda. But uh, it's a story that we all kind of need right now because I've... I've also fallen in the trap where there's no convincing these people. Mm -hmm. It's over. Let's just organize our base. And while that may be true on some tactical level about how much energy it takes to organize our base, which is important, and it takes less energy than that. Like we should go out to communities disenfranchised, disinvested. We should focus on, we should lead with them. Mm -hmm. But on the side, when these folks come at you and there's an opportunity to have that conversation, you'll be surprised how many of them you can flip. Um, mm -hmm. I am very surprising. Just and it, maybe flip is the wrong word. Oh, I don't even like, need them to flip. I just need them to be like, you know what? I don't yeah. agree with this lady yeah. on 98% of the things she said, <laughs> but she's actually not a horrible human being. 
That's where it started with you. And I, yes, I blocked him right away. Like I was done with him. And it was you and some other women, all women. Yep. Sophie, Sarah Silverman. Yeah. I was like, and I always wondered why I never blocked this guy. Like it really, like he was, you go back to his Twitter account. It was outrageous. Okay. So like there's still YouTube videos, by the way, that you could pull up that you might want to play of him where he was challenging me to a debate. Hello, Nina Sassor, Stephen Weissman. And I'm calling you out here in the Western Wall in Jerusalem, Israel, for a debate. I'm here to challenge you on that and what you really stand for and expose you to the world on your agenda. So, if you have the chutzpah enough, accept my challenge. And I was like, I'm not going to challenge you to a debate because I will crush you. And I don't want to crush your pride, you white man. And then when I met him in real life, he wasn't any of that. It was sweet. And... One thing I'll give away of the of the film, and we're going to release it, I hope, before this next episode. But one thing was, it wasn't me that found that deli that they're going to meet in, but Linda. And Linda found a deli that was owned and founded by a Palestinian, right? No, was it a Palestinian no. or Muslim? No, no, it was originally found, it was originally a kosher deli a spot. Kosher deli spot. And then the old Jewish guy didn't have any heirs that wanted to run the business. And so he ended up selling the business to some Yemeni Americans, Yemenis, who basically continued the recipe in that. So it's called, it's called David's brisket wow. house. Wow. And it, they never changed the name because it could be called the Muhammad brisket house, yeah. <laughs> but they kept the original name. And so that's where we met. So we met at a Muslim run, Yemeni run, Jewish, kosher Jewish deli. In Brooklyn. That was amazing. On Flatbush Avenue. Flatbush Avenue. <laughs> like, you just, it just doesn't get better than that. Also, shout out to Flatbush Zombie. But anyway, <laughs> I think we're we're set up. Good luck today with Thank all of the uh, Mitch stuff and the Brianna stuff. God help me. God help you. <laughs> Talk to you soon. Bye. I'll go make this sound good and stuff. What's Linda's chill mode?